Hello and welcome to the Gold Podcast. It's just me again today, Isabel, holding down the fort as Jade is currently in Sweden on site at a pharma company having a tour of one of their labs. Very exciting. I've heard pictures of her in a lab coat and goggles are pending. But as a result, it is just going to be me again today. However, do not fear, I have a great interview to share today. So this week, I actually had the chance to catch up with Wendy Barty, who is the Senior Vice President and General Manager for US Haematology and Cell Therapy at BMS. Now, she was keen to dive into a topic that was really close to her heart, and that is the right of patients to not just survive, but thrive. But before we get into it, let's hear a little bit more about Wendy. Now, a good way to describe Wendy is a compassionate and strategic leader. Her career path has taken many turns, first as a lawyer and public defender, then as a pharmaceutical professional. But her path has always been clear at the same time. She's always had a commitment to helping people, and she really wants to be a voice for those with unmet needs and unequal access in society today. Prior to joining BMS, Wendy was vice president and head of commercial operations for US oncology at Merck. And in this role, Wendy was responsible for leading sales, key accounts, market access and pricing and policy within the US business unit. So a lot going on there. Prior to joining Merck, Wendy held a number of commercial roles at various companies, including Novartis, Heron Therapeutics, Johnson & Johnson, Pharmacia and Abbott Labs. When not at work, Wendy enjoys painting, reading, and spending time with her husband and daughter where they live in New Jersey. She also undertakes philanthropic work within her community. So I think you can see why we've invited Wendy onto the podcast today. She's a really inspiring leader with a huge amount to say on this topic. So without further ado, let's hear what she had to say. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. It's it's a great day um, here in the States, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Well, that's absolutely no problem. It's also a great day here. Me and Wendy were discussing the sudden seasonal changes before we joined the call, but yeah, very much looking forward to talking to you today. Um, the topic that we're going to discuss is a really interesting one, and one we actually haven't really covered much on the podcast before. So Wendy and I today, we're going to be talking about side effects, and more specifically, the side effects of cancer drugs, and how they can really affect patients' quality of life. So obviously, the main concern for patients is survival, is to survive, but how can the industry help them to thrive? How can they address these side effects to improve quality of life? But Wendy, before we get fully into the topic, it would be great to know what inspired you to become a champion for developing drugs with lessened side effects? Great question. You know, I've always been inspired by the potential of medical advancements to positively impact people's lives, especially in the field of cancer treatment. I have witnessed the devastating effects of cancer on individuals and their families, and that has really fueled my passion to champion the commercialization of cancer drugs that not only target the disease, that's certainly the primary goal, but also to provide relief from the side effects or some adjacent conditions that develop from the primary cancer itself. I strongly believe that by addressing both, and you have to address both, the physical and emotional toll of cancer treatment, we can enhance patients' quality of life and ensure a more holistic approach to their care. It's really through this 
kind of dedication to improving cancer treatments in general and broadly um, that I strive to make a meaningful difference in the lives of people with cancer and contribute to the development of more effective and importantly, compassionate therapies. Personal loss has been a poignant inspiration for me. My mother has battled breast cancer twice. I lost my father to prostate cancer, and my big brother is currently battling prostate cancer. I love them dearly. And so the desire to spare others from the debilitating side effects like anemia and hair loss, um, cognitive side effects that we often hear referred to as chemo brain, and fatigue um, that affected my own family propels me to contribute to advancements that I hope can alleviate suffering and enhance the quality of life for those that face similar challenges um, as my family. Well, yes, I can see why this would be a very personal passion for you based on what you've just said there. I mean, going back a little bit, before we kind of look to what we could do better, how far have we actually come since we were first developing these treatments for patients? I think we've made a quantum leap in advancing innovation that can save people's lives. If you think about, it wasn't that long ago that what patients had was primarily chemotherapy. And chemotherapy is a highly effective form of cancer treatment. However, because chemotherapy not only targets cancer cells, but it also impacts healthy cells in a person's body, you oftentimes saw people who are treated with chemotherapy experience really, really significant side effects. And moreover, despite the fact that chemotherapy is very effective, in the metastatic setting, you rarely saw patients um, that were cured of their cancer. Now, if you look at where we are today in terms of cancer treatment, innovations such as targeted therapies, which um, are, are designed to specifically target a particular oncogenic driver, have really fundamentally changed the benefits to patients, both by providing really outstanding efficacy, but also fewer off-target side effects that we've historically seen with chemotherapy. We've seen the innovation and the advancement in the introduction of immunotherapy, which harnesses a person's immune system to fight cancer. And these products have really revolutionized cancer care across a large number of tumors in the metastatic setting. And they're currently being used in early stage cancer where our intent is to cure patients. Having said that, despite the outstanding clinical benefit that they provide in terms of efficacy, we also see immune-related side effects in those patients. And I recall in the early days when they were first introduced into the marketplace, patients would have to show up in emergency rooms, often late at night and on weekends, because they were experiencing side effects. And the medical community outside of the oncology community wasn't sure how to treat them. Now they know how to treat them well. But I think it's fair to say that the advancement we've seen in cancer care has been extraordinary. What we've not done has been able to completely eradicate side effects. Exactly. It seems like we have come a long way, but the battle is by no means won just yet. And you touched on that you obviously have personal experience. I think a lot of us have either direct or indirect experience of people going through cancer treatment. You've mentioned some of the different ways, chemotherapy, adjacent conditions, but 
What's the day-to-day like for patients? How is their quality of life actually being disrupted by these side effects from the treatments? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So cancer treatments such as chemotherapy and, and radiation therapy and even targeted therapies, you know, as I mentioned, what they do is they cause side effects because they work by targeting these rapidly dividing cells, which can include not only cancer cells, but also healthy cells in various parts of the body. And the side effects occur as a result of damage to the normal cells or interference with their their normal function. And I do think it's important to acknowledge the primary goal is to eradicate cancer. It's first and foremost to cure patients. And it's important to note that not everybody experiences the same side effects and their severity can vary quite drastically from person to person. I think it's also really important to acknowledge that medical professionals work closely with patients to monitor and to manage these side effects during cancer treatment to minimize their impact on overall well-being. But the challenge linked to toxicity is real. It often causes considerable physical and emotional strains on patients. And I think we talk a lot about the physical impact. I don't think we talk as much about the emotional strain that it causes on patients. And so just to think about it, you know, these treatments while aiming to combat cancer will cause nausea. They can cause fatigue. It can compromise the immune system. We often hear about women with breast cancer who are on chemotherapy losing their hair. I mentioned earlier cognitive decline, and that's what we refer to as kind of chemo brain. But the emotional strain is real. Imagine waking up and being so tired, experiencing fatigue that is so bad, you don't feel like getting out of bed. You can't get out of bed. And so you can't go to work. You can't spend time with your family. You can't go to the birthday party. You don't want to dance because you just need to rest. Imagine nausea that is so bad, you're afraid to leave your home, you're afraid to leave your bathroom because you want to be tethered to a toilet or to a trash can in case you do uh, experience actual vomiting. And these types of side effects really can significantly diminish a patient's ability to enjoy a a good quality of life. And so I, I think it's important for the healthcare industry. And when I say healthcare industry, it's not just medical professionals that are treating patients, but the pharmaceutical industry to recognize we all play a role in being empathetic and to provide support to patients as they navigate the difficulties that they face. If I can share with you a personal experience, um, something I experienced that kind of underscores this, is that okay? Yes, absolutely. Please do. So years ago, I worked on an innovative product. Um, It was a targeted therapy to treat non-small cell lung cancer. And it was highly effective because the tumors were exquisitely sensitive to the drug but it was associated with unremitting diarrhea. Over 90% of the patients in the clinical trial actually experienced diarrhea. And it wasn't transient. It wasn't a situation where a patient would experience diarrhea for a couple of days and then it would pass. Nope, if they used the product, they experienced loose stools. And it, it, again, it made it hard for them to leave their homes. And as a result of the diarrhea, they would sometimes become dehydrated. And so there was just a sequel of consequences that came from experiencing diarrhea. And so while working on this product, I participated in market research, and it was intended to listen to patients who 
were diagnosed with this particular type of non-small cell lung cancer in an effort to understand how we could better serve them. And in the research, I actually heard a patient say that her cancer treatment made her feel worse than the cancer itself. And that was a defining moment for me Mm. because I realized that it isn't enough to be effective. Cancer drugs really kind of have to do a dance. It's this delicate tango of efficacy and tolerability in order to triumph. And, And it's really important to me as a result of that singular experience to always think about balancing the need between both efficacy and tolerability for optimal treatment outcomes. I love the way you put that, a delicate tango. I think that perfectly sums up your point and also the importance of doing that research with patients when you're bringing a therapy to market, because as you say, sometimes being effective isn't enough. I think this challenge, um, if you want to call it a challenge, I think the reason why survival is obviously a goal for the industry, aside from it being the goal for patients, is progression-free survival is a key way that you measure the success of a therapy. Do you think it's right that this is so prioritized or do you think we need to start looking at things differently? That's a wonderful question. You know, I I think um, my response to that, it's mixed. Um, And I'm a little ambivalent about this question because I think the progression-free survival does serve as a very, very important endpoint for regulatory agencies and the medical community to assess the value of a product. Having said that, I think that to your point, there are other ways that we can effectively measure the clinical value of a particular innovation that will allow us to get innovation to patients faster. Now, I think, you know, it's important to start with defining what progression-free survival is, and we often refer to it as PFS. PFS is a term that's commonly used in cancer clinical trials to measure really the length of time during and after treatment that a patient's cancer doesn't grow or doesn't progress. And I do think it's a really important endpoint that reflects the effectiveness of a treatment and slowing down or stopping the growth of of cancer cells. However, I think it's also important to note that a lot of regulatory agencies, and I would look to Europe as an example, they really want to see not only progression-free survival or PFS, but they also want to see overall survival um, endpoints as a way to approve products. And I believe the true value of PFS is it reflects an effectiveness of a treatment in controlling cancer that allows us to get innovative new products to market faster than if we have to wait for overall survival. However, the industry should be challenging these conventional approaches by incorporating additional endpoints. You know, one endpoint um, that we see more and more in clinical trials in the metastatic setting is disease control rate. And we need to include patient-reported outcomes. We need to allow patients to report how they're experiencing products, and those results should be included in clinical trial dossiers because I think they offer a more comprehensive understanding of a treatment's impact. And balancing these endpoints allows for a more nuanced evaluation of therapeutic benefits. 
Now, if you look in early stage cancers, we're already seeing endpoints that are being adopted that I would argue are progressive. And this allows innovation to get to patients faster while we wait on those more mature survival data. And so some of those endpoints are disease-free survival or minimal residual disease. Um, We often hear about PCR, which is a pathologic complete response in early stage cancers. Again, these are innovative endpoints in early stage disease that allow us to assess the clinical benefit of an asset while we're waiting for more mature data. And that's important because innovation without access is simply interesting. Innovation that isn't able to get to the hands of patients is is pretty pointless. And so we do have to interrogate and consider alternative endpoints beyond PFS and overall survival because we need to get this innovation to patients. After all, we're trying to save lives. Absolutely. And I think including the patient reported outcomes links very nicely to what we're talking about, because as you say, you are getting that patient perspective on the treatment. I mean, that's one way you could approach it differently. Have you got any specific case studies you can talk about um, where taking a different approach to endpoints has benefited patients? Sure. So, you know, I think one area of what we're seeing, and again, this is something that we're seeing in um, what I would argue some of the best innovation um, that is currently available in hematologic malignancies and notably with cell therapy, we look at complete response rates. And that is looking at the percentage of patients who literally have a complete response. And I think that is a really important endpoint because one, physicians like to see the percentage of patients in a clinical trial that have a complete response because while we can't say cure, what it is intimating or what it is communicating to physicians is that you're not seeing evidence of of disease anymore. But I think it's incredibly important for patients to understand the value of a complete response because I fundamentally believe that cancer care is the combination of great clinical efficacy, compassion, and we talked about that earlier, but also there's a confidence component here. There's a state of mind component. It's one's mental mindset and how that helps them manage themselves through their journey with cancer care. And I think when patients are able to see, you know, data from a clinical trial about a product that they're discussing with their physician that demonstrates a percentage of patients who've had a complete response, I think it gives them hope. Mm. And I think it makes them feel confident in their treatment choice. And I think hope and confidence are so important if somebody is going through a, a battle and a journey with cancer. Or about to really, if they're looking it in the face and they're feeling daunted about what's to come, I imagine that hope will be incredibly important um, um, for patients. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Wendy. I think so. You know, think about think about people that you know who've experienced cancer and what we tend to do. I think it's just part of the human experience. We go online. The beauty is we have access to such great information now because of technology, and you can see great success stories and people who've triumphed and who have beat cancer. But then you also see the unsuccessful stories and you hear the tragic outcomes. And when somebody is in such a vulnerable state, what they tend to do is they gravitate to the tragic outcomes and they gravitate to the bad news stories. And so it's important that we put information in the public domain 
her patients can have a more balanced perspective on the ability of innovation to treat their, their cancer and where they can also hear the good news stories because I think that provides people with what they need to get through what can often be an incredibly arduous journey that is not a short journey. We're talking about people who are in treatment for months and months. And as the treatment goes on, the cancer tumors may be shrinking, but as we started, their side effects may be getting worse. And so you really do have to provide patients with hope. Yeah, it's a vehicle to get through those side effects at the end of the day. If the side effects can't be stopped, then I guess that is that is the next best thing, really. So we touched on a little bit at the beginning at how far cancer treatment has come, how we are now in the realm of targeted therapies, which have so much potential, ADCs, etc. What's your feelings on the future? What would you love to see? We're coming up to the holiday season. What would be on your wish list for the future of cancer treatments, whether it's to do with side effects or, or more broadly than that? Wow, that's a lovely question. You know, personally, I watched my mother get significant coaching and a lot of support when she went through her battle with breast cancer. And as I mentioned, she was a two-time breast cancer survivor. And the second time my mother went through treatment, she went through radiation. And one of the side effects that she experienced during her radiation was significant and pretty severe burning at the site of radiation. And she she burned quickly and it, it was pretty bad. And it moved me to watch her care team work with her by scheduling her treatments in a way that allowed her to recover a little bit between each treatment. Um, she even had a nurse who suggested specific lotions that she could use on her body to help with the pain associated with the burning. And my mom also um, had radiation fatigue. And so again, her care team was very thoughtful about making suggestions to help her manage through that difficult time and that difficult experience. So on my wish list for the future of cancer treatment, um, first, I want to achieve a cure. I think achieving a cure is paramount. I kind of want to be put out of business because we're cure patients <laughs> of cancer. Um, and the second thing is I want people to be able to reach for that cure in a way that isn't debilitating and where they can manage the side effects and they have great care and great information to help them get through that, much like my mother did. And third, equally crucial for me is ensuring that health equity is first and foremost and top of mind in accessing that cure. I think that everyone, irrespective of your race, your gender, your age, your socioeconomic status, should have equal access to outstanding innovation and treatment that can help them be cured of their cancer. And so striving for a future where all people, regardless of their background and resources, can benefit from breakthrough treatments, that would represent a significant step forward, a more just and inclusive healthcare landscape during the holidays and beyond is what I wish, wish for this holiday season. Thank you, Wendy. That's a great collection. I think cure, care and equality, we could sum that up as a really great triple threat that I would also love to see in the future of cancer care. Now, I'm nearly done, Wendy, um, for today, but I do have one last question. We've covered a huge amount there around cancer and side effects, but I do want to touch a little bit on you now. Um, we've been asking all our guests this question this year to get a real sense of what motivates you guys in industry and what's the challenge. So my question is, what is the thing that gets you out of bed any morning? What's your get up and go? 
And what is something that can keep you awake at night, pondering what the answer might be? Well, the practical answer to your question is my daughter, my dog, and Alexa get me out of bed <laughs> each morning. Um, but each morning I, I rise inspired by the unwavering mission to find a cure for cancer and to make healthcare truly equitable. The belief that our efforts can bridge gaps and ensure everyone, regardless of circumstance, has access to life-changing treatments is a source of profound, profound motivation for me. And while the challenges are real, the vision of a future where health disparities are overcome fuels a relentless, relentless determination that persists through the night. So I work hard for patients every day. As a result of that, I sleep really well every night. I love that. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your thoughts and insights. It's been a pleasure to have you on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much and happy, happy holidays to you and your family. Well, I really enjoyed listening back to that. I hope you did too. And I think there's a couple of key points that I would love to highlight from Wendy's discussion there. I think the first one is clearly the industry has come so far in the last couple of decades to be able to expertly perform that tango, as Wendy mentioned, between survival and side effects. But the second point, I think, is that clearly there's still work to be done, and hopefully that work will be accelerated as targeted therapies become even more commonplace, like Wendy mentioned there as well. And I'm afraid that is all we have time for this week. I want to say a big thanks to Wendy for joining us and thanks to you for listening. Until next week, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye.